Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number one, and we are continuing through our series on the victorious Christian life. And uh, we actually just have this week and next week, we'll finish up this series next week. And we've been talking about how to live in victory in the Christian life, how to not lose in the Christian life. We talked about being destined for victory, and uh, we talked about defining what victory is. We talked about disciplines, daily disciplines for victory and how we must be disciplined in our lives. Last week we talked about denying self and how we must learn to deny self. Today I I, want to teach you this idea of dependence on the Holy Spirit uh, for victory. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I feel like, you know, the Bible says confessing your faults one to another. I feel like preaching about the person of the Holy Spirit is maybe something that I've lacked in, in, the, in the seven years that I've been pastoring here, I mean, we've definitely talked about the Holy Spirit. And I, and I think it's something that all churches lack. I don't know that we talk about the Holy Spirit or teach about the Holy Spirit as much as we uh, should. But you need to understand that in order to live the victorious Christian life, you have to learn to live dependent on the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like to do tonight is kind of give you a survey of just the doctrine, and we're just going to touch, there's lots that we could go into that we won't go into, but I want to give you a little bit of a survey of just the idea of the Holy Spirit, this person of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we will uh, not cover many things tonight in regards to the Holy Spirit. Why don't I just give you some key thoughts about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I'd like you to take notes if you're able to. I'd like you to write down a few statements. We're there in Ephesians chapter 1. I'd like you to look down at verse number 13, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something in Ephesians because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I want you to be able to find Ephesians quickly. We're going to be coming back to the book of Ephesians throughout the sermon tonight. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says this, In whom ye also trusted, I want you to notice the word trusted there, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Notice the word believe there. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This verse is teaching us about salvation, and I'm not preaching on that this, this evening, but I do want you to notice when the Bible says, in whom ye also trusted, and then it says, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then it says, in whom also after that ye believe. I want you to understand that the Bible, it's its own dictionary. Our King James Bible, it's its own dictionary. I feel a little bit of a ring, if you could help me with that. Maybe just put it down a little bit. And uh, we don't, you don't have to go to man's resources to uh, have the Bible. The Bible can define itself. The Bible says that the spirit will define itself. And we can compare spiritual with spiritual. And here... God is telling us that when we talk about belief, you know, Paul was asked, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're talking about believe, what we are talking about is not believing in the existence of. That's not what saves someone, like believing that Jesus existed. But when we're talking about faith or belief, what we mean by that and the definition for salvation is when you place your trust in Christ. See, it's not enough to just believe that he existed. You have to believe on him, meaning your trust is on him, not on yourself or on your church or on your religion or whatever it might be. And that's what this verse is saying. It's saying, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. And by the way, that's how you get saved, by hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believe. But I want you to notice what happened the moment you believed. The Bible says this, ye were sealed 
with that Holy Spirit of promise. If you're taking notes tonight, I'd like to write down the statement, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to the ministry of the Holy Ghost in our life, it begins with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And this verse, especially for you soul winners, you may want to make a note of this verse, not only because it defines the word believe, but also because it teaches that the Bible says that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise the moment you believe. Notice it says, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed. You say, well, why is that important? Well, it's important for one reason, because today the Pentecostal charismatic movement teaches that salvation is a process. That salvation is a progress and that you first believe, but you don't, that, that's not where salvation ends and you have to go through all these steps. You believe and then you repent of your sins and then you get baptized and then they teach along that process of salvation when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, when you speak in tongues, you get filled with the Holy Ghost because you receive the Holy Ghost. But I want you to notice that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, in whom you also, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you don't get the Holy Spirit later on after you've repented, after you got baptized. You get it the moment you believe. The moment that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You're there in Ephesians 1. Go down to Ephesians chapter 4 just real quickly. Or go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 30. Let me just quickly talk about this idea of the sealing. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to be sealed? The sealing of the Holy Spirit speaks to or teaches us about or is uh, is about this idea of possession or ownership. When you get sealed with the Spirit, what that means is that you now you belong to someone. Now you belong to God. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 30. Notice what the Bible says. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed, Ephesians 4, 30, whereby ye are sealed, notice, unto the day of redemption. You see that word redemption there? The, the word the redemption has many definitions, but the definition in that verse is, in, is speaking about the action of regarding or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or a clearing of a debt. See, when you got saved, God redeemed you. We sing those songs, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You and I were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is that we were purchased, we were possessed of God, and he seals us with a spirit because what he's doing is he's taking possession. He's putting his mark on us. He's putting his ownership on us. He's branding us. Like you'd brand cattle, you know, he's putting his mark on us because we now belong to him. Go to the, keep your place there in Ephesians. We're going to leave Ephesians. We're going to come back to it. But go with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. If you go backwards, you're going to go past Galatians, past 2 Corinthians, into 1 Corinthians. Now, here's the thing. We're going to leave 1 Corinthians and come back there as well. So I need you to hold your place in two different places because we're going to go back and forth between Ephesians and 1 and 2 Corinthians. So make sure you can get to Ephesians. Make sure you can get to 1 Corinthians. But I want you to notice this idea of possession or ownership. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? Notice what, what he says which is in you, so the Holy Ghost is in you, which ye have of God, ye are not your own. He says, 
uh, for ye are bought with a price. That's the idea of redemption. You've been purchased. You uh, uh, have been paid for. You belong to someone else. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Hear the key words, which are God. See, your body and your spirit do not belong to you. They belong to God. So when we're talking about the sealing of the spirit, it is in uh, reference to a possession. It is a reference to the fact that you now belong to God, that you are in the ownership of God. But there's another idea that comes with the sealing. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Now when we talk about a seal, the dictionary defines the word seal as a piece of wax or similar adhesive substance so attached to an envelope, folded document, etc., that it must be broken when the object is opened, ensuring that the contents have not been tampered with or altered. See, in the days of Paul, someone would uh, maybe write a letter, and they would fold that letter, and they would maybe have a seal on their ring, and they would put, they'd fold the letter, and they'd put wax over that letter, and as the wax was, uh, you know, they would, they would put their seal, and they would put their impression upon that seal, and that would, would uh, dry there, that would be the seal. And here's the thing, in order to open that letter, you'd have to break that seal. And the idea was that when you gave it to somebody, uh, to, to uh, a courier, someone to, to send that that message, it wouldn't be tampered with because when it got to the desired destination, they would know if the letter had been opened or not based on whether that seal was broken or not. And the idea was that a king or a leader would have, he'd be the only one that possessed that seal, so you would be able to know who it came from. So not only did it have the ownership aspect, but it had a security aspect, making sure that no one was going to mess with it, that no one was going to alter it, that no one was going to change it. When you got a letter from the king and it had his seal on it and that seal was intact and not broken, not only did you know where it came from and the ownership, but you knew that it was protected and the security. And see, when it comes to our salvation, the sealing of the Spirit plays the same role. It's the same idea. Second 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse number 22. 2 Corinthians 1, 22, notice what the Bible says. Who have also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit uh, in our hearts. See, the Bible says He sealed us, and I want you to notice this word, and have given the earnest. I want you to notice that word, earnest, of the Spirit in our hearts. Go back to Ephesians chapter number 1. Keep your place in 2 Corinthians. We're going to go back and forth. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse number 13. Ephesians 1, verse 13 again. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Notice verse number uh, 15. I'm, I'm sorry, number uh, 14. Which is the earnest, see that word earnest there, of our inheritance until the redemption, notice, of the purchased, we've been bought, possession, that's you, Unto the praise of his glory. Here's what you need to understand. The sealing of the Holy Spirit not only speaks of possession, but it speaks of protection or the promise. We are sealed with the Spirit. That's why we have eternal security. Because we have the Holy Spirit of God. He sealed us. But I want you to understand, there's a picture there of a sealing, but there's also a picture there where he's talking about the earnest of the Spirit. Now what's earnest? 
Ernest uh, has this financial idea. Notice redemption, the purchase possession. All of these terms have a financial idea. Well, earnest money is money that is given by a buyer to a seller in order to bind a contract. If you were going to purchase a house and you say, you, you say, I'm going to buy this house. I have made a decision. This, I like the house. I like the price. I'm going to go with it. They're going to ask you to put down some earnest money. And the earnest money is money you put down where you basically give them $1,000 or whatever. And you say, here's how, I, how serious I am about this purchase. I'm going to give you $1,000 to take this house off the market because I'm going to come back and I'm going to buy it. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take possession. Now, here's the thing. When you put down $1,000 earnest money and you change your mind and decide, Oh, I've decided I'm not going to move there. Guess who gets to keep that money? The, other, the person does. Because that's the whole thing. You're showing your intention. You are showing how serious you are that you're willing to put $1,000 at risk that you might lose it by saying, that's how serious I am. I'm going to give you $1,000. And if I don't come back and purchase this home, you can have the money. But see, what God did is he did not put down $1,000 or a million dollars as the earnest of our salvation. He put down his Holy Spirit as the earnest of our salvation. He put down his Holy Spirit and said, I am so committed to the redemption of this purchase. I am so committed and I am so sure that nothing's going to happen and I will redeem this individual. I'll put my spirit down. And here's the thing. If God sends me to hell after I believed on Christ, he'd have to send his Holy Spirit with me. Because he sent the, whole, the Holy Spirit as the earnest. That's where the promise, that's where the protection is. We are, he, he put down, here's another word, a pledge. A pledge is a thing intended or regarded as a sign or promise of what is to come. That's why he says uh, in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption. He said it's a pledge that I'm going to come back of the purchased possession and do the praise of his glory. So we see, number one, the sealing of the Spirit. When you got saved, you received the sealing of the Spirit, and it speaks to the possession and the protection of of our salvation. But there's another aspect to uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Go, go, go to Ephesians, I'm not sure where you're at. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, while you go there, let me read for you from Acts chapter number 7. I read this verse this morning, so I won't have you turn there tonight. But in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, I'd like you to hear it. It says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. The Bible says this to the Pharisees that were rejecting Christ, he says, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. So the first idea in regards to the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, number one, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But there's a second idea when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I'd like you to write this statement down, the yielding to the Holy Spirit. We have the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but we also have the yielding of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in your life and in my life. He begins to reprove us. He begins to, to convict us. He begins to show us, you know, what needs to be done. And here's what you need to understand. The Holy Spirit has a ministry uh, uh, for unbelievers as he does for, for believers. That's why oftentimes before we go out soul winning, I'll pray that the Lord will send his Holy Spirit before us. And that the Holy Spirit will begin to work on the hearts of the individuals that we will be talking to. Why? Because somebody can only be saved if he's drawn by the Holy Spirit. And, the Holy, and by the way, the Holy Spirit's drawing all men. 
He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But here's what's interesting about that, is that the Calvinists today will say, well, you can only be saved if you're drawn by the Spirit. And only those that are drawn by the Spirit, only those that God draws to Himself can be saved. And and again, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I shall draw all men unto me. So it's true that you can only be saved if the Holy Spirit's drawing you. But guess what? The Holy Spirit's drawing everybody. He desires that everybody would be saved. He desires that all. But what's interesting is the Calvinists will say, if the Holy Spirit's not drawing you, if God's not drawing you, you can't be saved. But if he is drawing you, they'll say, those people have no choice but to be saved. And here's what they'll teach in their little tulip acronym. They'll teach, uh, um, what is that where I, it, I lost my irresistible grace. They'll say it's irresistible. When the Holy Spirit draws you, you can't resist it. But here's what's interesting about that. Acts 7.51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. So the Calvinists say, well, there's no such thing as resisting. If he calls you, it's irresistible. But the Bible tells us that these, uh, these Jews were resisting the Holy Spirit. So look, Calvinism is a lie out of the pit of hell. God is not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody to be saved. He's calling everyone. He's sending his Holy Spirit, and all he needs is you to go out like the choir was singing this morning. The Holy Spirit is just looking for a vessel that he can use to preach the gospel with, to go out and show people how they might be saved. But he works in the life of unbelievers, and they can resist him. Some will accept him. Some will resist him. But you know what? He also works in the lives of believers, and believers can also resist him. Now, once you're saved, you're sealed. But you can resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Notice the first part of this verse. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Notice this is not talking to unbelievers. These people are sealed. These people are redeemed. They are sealed into the day of redemption. But yet in your life, even as a believer, you have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, you got sealed with the Spirit when you got saved. But the Holy Spirit will begin to do a work in your life. See, you'll start coming to church, and you'll start hearing preaching from the Word of God. And, and, and something will be said from the pulpit, and the Holy Spirit is going to start pricking at you. And saying, that's you. You need to get that right. You need to get that fixed. We'll start singing a a great song like the one we sing today. So little time, the harvest will be over. Our reaping done. We reapers taken home. And the Holy Spirit starts saying, you need to get out there. You need to go out soul winning. You know, we'll talk about reading the Bible. and say, you haven't read the Bible in weeks. We'll talk about prayer. He said, you don't have a prayer life. We'll talk about tithing. He'll say, you need to start tithing. See, the Holy Spirit will begin to prick at you and begin to nudge at you and begin to try to push you and try to get you to do certain things in your life. And when you say no, you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. See, one of the things that you and I need to learn to do, you say, I'd like to be Filled with the Spirit. I'd love to have the power of the Holy Spirit on my life. Well, wait a minute. Before you get to the filling, you have to learn how to yield. Before you can be filled, you've got to yield. And if there's anything in your life that the Holy Spirit's working on you and saying, you know that's a sin that you need to deal with, you know that's something you need to stop, or you know that's something you need to start, or you know that's something that's not acceptable to God, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to ignore it, you're not actively yielding to the Spirit, you're grieving the Spirit. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5. So here's the question I have for you, and no answer out loud, but are you yielding to the Holy Spirit of God? Is there an area in your life where you know, you know, God wants you to do X, Y, and Z, or you know God wants you to stop X, Y, and Z, but you just keep putting that off, or you keep making excuses, or you keep saying, no, I'm just not going to go down that road. Because at that point, you cannot get to the filling if you're not even yielding. You've got to yield to the Holy Spirit and say, not my will, but thine be done, where you will allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you. 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse number 19. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. If you're there in Ephesians, you got Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. Just a very short four-word verse. It says, quench not the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart. And, and, and what you and I can do is we can choose to quench the Spirit... Often the Holy Spirit is likened unto fire. Remember the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Ghost? The Bible says they began to speak with tongues. But the Bible also says that there was fire on their head. Because the Holy Spirit is often likened to fire. That's why I always want to ask these Pentecostals. Because they're like, oh, we're like the day of Pentecost. Well, where's the fire on your head? Because, you know, I can fake gibberish. I can get up here and say, Osama Bin Laden, Barack Obama, Akuna Matata. But you know what I can't fake? Fire on the top of my head. Because that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. But here's the thing. There's, whether you see the fire or not, you got the Holy Spirit fire in your heart. And the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. And the Holy Spirit's nudging you and saying, you got to get right in this area. you got to do better in this area. you got to get disciplined in this area. You know that's right. You know. It says he'll guide you in truth. Some of you come to church and you'll hear the word of God preached. And here's the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, that's true. That's you. Truth. True. That's why it's always silly to me. People get mad. I go to church and I felt like pastor was preaching right at me. Well, what would you come here for? What, what's the point if we're not preaching right at you? And, you know, it's silly to me. It's like eight people will say the same thing. I'll preach about cigarettes. And it's like, pastor was preaching about me. It's like, I didn't even know you smoked. What are you talking about? Thanks for letting me know. You know, people, whatever, they're constantly confessing their sins to me. I'm like, well, I didn't know that, but now I do. Thanks a lot. Now it'll be awkward the next time I talk about it, you know. You have to yield. To the Holy Spirit. You quench, the Bible says quench not the Spirit. So see, when you got saved, you were sealed. But after salvation, you have to make the decision to yield. When you got saved, you were sealed. And then you have to decide. When the Holy Spirit pricks, when the Holy Spirit moves, when the Holy Spirit says, that's for you. You're reading the Bible, and you read something, and the Holy Spirit grabs at you. You know when you're reading the Bible and something just jumps out at you. The Holy Spirit brings something to your mind. At that moment, you've got to decide, will I grieve the Spirit, will I quench the Spirit, or will I yield to the Spirit? So number one, we talked about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we talked about the yielding of the Holy Spirit. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, the filling of the Holy Spirit is fun. The filling of the Holy Spirit is what we want. I think that's what you'd like. But you cannot get to the filling... Until you've had the yielding. And you cannot get to the yielding until you've had the sealing. Second Corinthians chapter number 1. I want to explain something to you. And uh, I'll be honest with you. What I'm going to explain to you, I don't know that I've really heard anybody teach this before. 
And uh, so it may be heresy, I guess what I'm trying to say. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't think it's heresy. But I just don't think a lot of Baptists really preach on the idea of the Holy Spirit. But I'll show it to you from the Bible. And if you disagree, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But go to uh, 2 Corinthians 1. And I want you to understand this. At salvation, you were sealed with the Spirit. And you got enough of the Holy Spirit to seal and to save you. At salvation... You got enough of the Holy Spirit to seal and to save you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 22. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. And who hath also sealed us and given the earnest, given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. See that word earnest? Remember the word earnest has this idea. It's like a security deposit. A security deposit is a sum payable as a first installment on the purchase of something or as a pledge of a contract. A balance being paid later. See, he didn't make the complete purchase. The complete purchase will not be made until the day of the rapture. We will not be completely, you know, body, soul, and spirit given to God until the day of the rapture. But he gave us the earnest of the spirit to show his intention that he will come back and fulfill the rest of the purchase. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse number 5. The earnest has to do with, it's like a security deposit. It's like a pledge. It's like a down payment. It's an initial payment made towards something that he's going to come back and finish the redemption on. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, the Bible says this, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us, notice, the earnest of the Spirit. He gave us the pledge. He gave us the deposit. Because if you think about it, how much, do, how much wax do you need to, to have a seal? You don't need the entire candlestick. You just pour a little bit of wax in there and you seal the thing. And I want you to understand what I'm about to say. Go to John chapter number 3. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter number 3. My whole life, I've grown up in Baptist church who were always careful to not get too much into the Holy Spirit because you don't want to be accused of being a Pentecostal. I learned to give up a long time ago what people thought about me. You know, because that's just the only way to really do ministry, I think. If you're going to follow truth and reject things like the pre-trip rapture and all that stuff. But my whole life, this is what I was always told about the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and look, anyone who said this, I'm not saying they're bad people, and I'm not even saying they're, they're necessarily wrong. I just, I don't think it's extremely accurate uh, in regards. But they, they would always say this, when you got saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't get all of you. And they would say, like, when you, the more you yield to the Spirit, that's what the Bible's referring to as the filling. But you find the words filling of the Spirit or being full of the Spirit. And, and I just have this idea when God says something, that's what he means. And in John 3.34, I want you to notice what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.34, the Bible says this. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. I want you to understand what the Bible is saying here. The Bible is telling us that God did not give Jesus Christ the Spirit by measure. Meaning he did not measure out the Holy Spirit and said, well, let me see how much of this I'm going to give you. He said when he sent down his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he, was, and he gave him the Spirit, he didn't measure out how much of the Spirit. He said he gave him not the Spirit by measure. He just gave him all of it. Now, the implication there, or the idea is this. 
If he's telling us that he didn't give Jesus the spirit by measure, it must be because he gave us the spirit by measure. Do you understand what I just said? I don't necessarily believe that we got all of the Holy Spirit on the day we got saved. You say, well, what do you believe we got? Here's what I believe. When you got saved, when I got saved, we got enough of the Holy Spirit to seal us and to save us. He gave us the earnest of the Spirit. He gave us enough of the Spirit to show you belong to me. I'm sealing you. I've saved you. You are mine. But not every Christian is just filled with the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, this verse wouldn't make sense if he just gave everyone all of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who's saved has all of the Holy Spirit. You got all of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't get all of you. No, there's only one person who got all of the Holy Spirit, and that's because he is the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. He didn't measure it out to him. He gave it to him. Why? Because he's the second person of the Holy Spirit, uh, of, of the Trinity, because Jesus is God. He got all of them. He has all of them, but listen to me, you and I were given the Holy Spirit by measure. And that's why the Bible says, go to Luke chapter number 11. Luke chapter number 11. In verse number 13, Jesus would say this. Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 13, you're there in John just one book back. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, the Bible says, if ye then, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, Now notice, he's talking about children. So in the Bible, when you're a child of God, are you saved, yes or no? Yes. All right, you get born again, you're a child. He says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now look, if every child got all of the Holy Spirit, why is he telling a child to ask God, their father, for the Holy Spirit? Here's what I believe. I think when you got saved, you didn't get all of the Holy Spirit. You got the earnest of the Spirit. You got the sealing of the Spirit. You got enough of the Spirit to make sure you were sealed and to make sure you were saved. But you know what? God says, if you ask me for more, I'll give you more. He says, if you want more, I'll give you more. He says, if you'd like to be filled. And here's what you need to understand. Not every Christian today, not every person in this room is just walking around filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved, you got enough of them to seal you. If you're saved, you got enough of them to save you. But, but that doesn't mean you're filled with them. Only certain people are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And one of the things God says is, hey, ask your Heavenly Father to give you the Holy Spirit. If you, every morning I wake up, I try to ask the Lord to give me the fullness of the Spirit for that day. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the power of God. The filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the, with the ability that God gives you to do a great work, to preach great sermons, to do great works for God. So you have the sealing of the Spirit. You have the yielding of the Spirit. You have the filling of the Spirit. When you got saved, don't, look, don't misunderstand me. I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm not saying you get the Holy Spirit later. You got the Holy Spirit. You got the seal of the Spirit. You got enough to make sure that you belong to God and you are protected and you are sealed. But here's all I'm trying to explain to you. There's more Holy Spirit up for grabs if you want Him. If you'd like to have more of a Holy Spirit-filled uh, life, if you say, well, I just feel like my, my, my soul-winning life, I feel like I go soul-winning, I just don't have the power, you know. I used to have the power, I felt like I could preach, and the Holy Spirit is just working, and now it feels just kind of dry. It may be just that you're not filled with the Spirit. 
It may just be that you, look, I've heard a whole lot of pastors get up and think to myself, that guy needs an unction of the Holy Spirit. You know, you're just up there and going through the motions. Well, the Bible says, the Bible goes. That's not how I want to preach. I want to have the Holy Spirit upon me. I want to have the power of God upon me. I want to have God in my life. So you say, well, what, what, does, what does the filling of the Holy Spirit, what does that include? How does that work? Keep your place there in Luke. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Just keep your finger in Luke. We're coming right back to it. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse number 18, Ephesians 5, 18, notice what the Bible says. Notice these words, and be not drunk with wine, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. And by the way, I'm not preaching on wine, but that's just a good, good, good uh, statement right there. Be not drunk with wine. Don't get drunk. Amen. Don't drink wine. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But notice what he says, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's a little odd of a verse because you would think, well, what does being not drunk with wine have to do with being filled with the Spirit? Well, let me say this. If you're drunk, you're not filled with the Spirit, number one. Right. These pastors want to go, I believe in social drinking. Here's what you told me. You're not a Holy Spirit-filled preacher. Amen. You're not filled with the Spirit. There's not even a, you may be sealed, but you're not filled. Because it says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But you say, what does that have to do with being filled? Well, here's what you need to understand. Wine or alcohol, when you are drunk, it will take control of your life. When you are drunk, you will do things that you normally wouldn't have done. You will say things that you normally wouldn't have said. You will go places that you normally wouldn't have gone. You, in, in a negative way, it'll, it'll cause you to do, it'll give you boldness that you don't have. You'll start picking fights with people that'll beat you up. That's what happens when you get drunk. And, and the Bible is using this idea. He's saying, hey, don't get filled with the, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess. But then he says, why don't you get drunk with the Spirit? Why don't you get filled of the Spirit? He says, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And let me tell you something. Filled Christians that are drunk with the Holy Spirit, that are filled with the Spirit, you know what they'll do? They'll do things they never thought they'd do before. They'll go knock on some stranger's door and preach the gospel to them. And they, they would say, well, I'd never do that. Yeah, you'd never do that. But when the Holy Spirit takes control, the Holy Spirit will lead you to do it. Amen. See, the filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the control of your life. When he fills you, he takes control. When he fills you, he gives you boldness. When he fills you, now you're going to do, just like when you're drunk with alcohol, you say, well, I would have never gotten there. But the alcohol made me do it. When you're filled with the Spirit, you say, well, I would never go there. I would never say that. I would never do that. I would never give that money. I would never wear those clothes. I would never go to that outreach. I would never do any of those things. I would never get up and preach in front of people. But when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit takes control. See, God says, hey, don't be drunk with wine wearing his excess but be filled with the Spirit. And here's what you need to understand. You cannot be filled with the Spirit without being led by the Spirit. Because that's what it means to be filled. What it means to be filled is that the Holy Spirit is in control, not you. So when the Holy Spirit says, hey, go do this, and you say, no, you're not filled with the Spirit, you're grieving the Spirit. You may be sealed, but you need to yield. And when you yield, that'll lead to the filling. Go to Luke chapter 4, look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ being filled with the Spirit. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you kept your place in Luke there. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Notice what it says. 
returned from Jordan and notice the connection. He was full with the Holy Ghost and he was led by the Spirit. See, you cannot be full of the Spirit without being led by the Spirit. That's what it means. When you're full with the Spirit, when you're drunk with the Holy Spirit of God, He starts leading. He starts directing. He start, you start going places you never would have gone. You start doing things you never would have. You start making decisions you would have never made if you were sober. But when you're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit starts taking control. Notice, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from, from Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Notice, into the wilderness. He was led to be tempted of the devil. Before you sign up for the filling of the Holy Spirit, please let me warn you that he might lead you somewhere you don't want to go. You wouldn't go if you were sober. You and I don't want to go into the wilderness. You and I don't want to face off with the devil. Christians will, I mean, I think it's funny to me watching Christians just bend over backwards to try to avoid any pain or persecution or anything negative in their life at all. If that's you... You're just bending over backwards to make sure that nothing bad ever happens. You know what you're not? You're not filled with the Spirit. Because when the Spirit takes control, He might lead you somewhere you don't want to go. But He's in control. So we talked about the sealing of the Spirit. Talked about the yielding of the Spirit. Talked about the filling of the Spirit. Let's talk about the walking in the Spirit. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. When you got saved, you got enough of the Holy Spirit to save you and to seal you. When you got saved, you got enough of the Holy Spirit to save you and to seal you. I want to make sure you understand that. I don't want somebody walking out of here and saying, Pastor, you man is a Pentecostal. I'm sure someone will. When you got saved, you got enough of the Holy Spirit. But listen, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit. You've got to yield to the Spirit. You've got to not grieve the Spirit. You've got to uh, not uh, uh, quench the Spirit. And then God will begin to fill you. But the filling is connected to the walking. When you're filled, you are led. If you're not led, you're not filled. So here's the next question. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, the Bible answers for us. Let's look at it real quickly. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8. We'll we'll be done in like 5, 10 minutes. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 1. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. These people that are saved. Notice, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, it doesn't, it's not saying that you have to not walk after the flesh to be saved, but the only way to not walk after the flesh is when you're in Christ Jesus. Unbelievers don't get to not walk after the flesh. Unbelievers don't get to walk after the Spirit. They have no Spirit. So he says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. By the way, those are the two options. You either walk by the flesh or you walk by the Spirit. Today, today, right now, you are either in the flesh or you are in the Spirit. And if you were honest with yourself, or we were honest, we would probably, most of us would say, uh, you know, most of the time we're in the flesh. Most of the time we're not in the spirit. But he says they walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Notice verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice what he says. Who walk not after the flesh. The law gets fulfilled in us. I want you to remember that. The law gets fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh, notice these words, do mind. The things of the flesh. See, walking in the Spirit requires a controlling of your mind. You have to control your thoughts. Notice what it says. uh, Look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Referring to the fact that they mind, their mind is on the things of the Spirit. Notice verse 6. 
For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, when you're carnally minded, you're going to do things that make sense to the flesh. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And, and people are going to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do? Why would you move your family all the way out there? Why would you give uh, 10% of your income? Why would you spend your Saturdays doing that? It doesn't make sense in the flesh, but when you're thinking spiritually, it makes sense. For to be carnal minded is dead, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Those verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity, meaning it's at odds. It's enemy against God. For why? Why is it at odds with God? For it is not subject. What does that mean? It's not yielding to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. See, whenever you are not yielding to the Holy Spirit, you are quenching the Spirit, or you are grieving the Spirit, you know what you're doing? You're thinking carnally. It makes sense in the flesh... But it's not the way we ought to think spiritually. Romans 8, look at verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of this. you got to have the Spirit to be his. you know, you got to be sealed. But he's telling us that to be in the Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit, it has to affect the way you think. Go to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 1. I know you know the verses, but let's look at it just real quickly. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable for the will of God. See, being filled with the Spirit has to do with your mind has to do with your, the way you think. And look, the problem with your mind is that, well, some of you are just are out of, you're crazy. That's the problem with your mind. But, you know, the problem with your mind is that nobody knows it but you. The First Corinthians says, uh, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And it says this, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Don't miss this. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, you cannot be filled with the Spirit. You cannot walk in the Spirit. You cannot make decisions in the Spirit until you learn to bring your thoughts into captivity. Because here's what's going to happen. The moment you decide, I'm going to do this for God, your carnal brain is going to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why would you go there? Why would you say that? And you've got to take control of those thoughts and say, no, I'm not going to listen to the flesh. I'm not going to walk in the flesh. I'm going to walk in the spirit. It has to do with a control of your mind. You've got to control your mind. You have to control what your mind thinks. You have to turn there. But Philippians chapter number 4, in verse 8, the Bible says this, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You have to control. Here's a question I have for you. What's your mind on? What's your mind on? Sports? The Emmys? I mean, what are, you, what are you thinking about? You've got to control your mind. You have to control. Look, in this, if, if we learn how to control our minds, it'll solve so many problems in life. You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is allowing your mind to just go out of control. 
I mean, so, uh, look, in, in, as a pastor over the last seven years, I could spend all day, every day, just thinking about people who had no intention to help our church but just came here to hurt us. Thinking about individuals that I just think to myself, man, I went out of my way to be kind to those people. I bent over backwards to be kind to those people. I defended these people, and they did nothing but try to. But look, if I spent my whole day thinking about that, you know what it would make me? A very bitter and angry individual. Say, well, Pastor, how do you deal with that? You just choose to not think about it. You just choose to say, I'm not going to go. Look, some of you, are, you may be bitter at your wife. The Bible says to husbands to not be bitter at their wife. You may be bitter at your wife. You may be bitter at your husband. You may be bitter with your parents. You may be bitter with your worker. You may be bitter with me. You say, how do you solve that? You just stop thinking about it. You control your thoughts and you tell yourself, I'm not going to go down that road. And look, when that anger or that bitterness or that lust or whatever it might be, takes over, you've got to decide, I'm going to control my mind. I'm going to, decide, I'm going to bring every thought into captivity. You say, how do you get filled with the Spirit? It has to do with your mind, not being a carnal mind, but being a spiritual mind. There's another aspect to it. Go to Romans 8 and look at verse 13. We'll, we'll, we're going to finish up. I know you can smell the pizza and all that. Romans 8, 13. Look at what it says. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die... But if ye through the Spirit, notice, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Not only does it have to do with the way, not only does it require a controlling of your mind, but it also requires a controlling of desires. He says, do mortify the deeds of the body. Go to Galatians chapter 5. This is the last place we'll look at. Look at verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, you got Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's referring to the desires of the flesh, what the, what the flesh wants. Say, how do I not fulfill the lust of the flesh? You walk in the Spirit. Well, how do I walk in the Spirit? Well, you control your mind, for one, and then you control your desires. Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. See, inside of you, you've got your flesh, the old man, and you've got a spiritual man or the new man. Look, if you're here on a Sunday night, unless you're just dragged here by your parents or your spouse or whatever, you know, if you like hard, you know, have you ever thought about like, why do I like hard preaching? I mean, why, I think Pastor Romero brought this up with the Red Hot Preaching Conference. Why do we want to have our faces ripped off? You know, why do we want someone to tell us, like, you're wrong, that's stupid, you're an idiot? You know, why do we want that? Well, it's not your flesh that wants it, it's the new man. Because the new man does not, and by the way, when people used to like hard preaching and now they're all offended all the time, can't believe Pastor said it, you know all it proves is this, they're in the flesh, not in the spirit. Because the spirit likes it. And inside of you, there's this fight where the Spirit says, I like the old hymn. I like the hard preaching. I like the King James Bible. But then you have this flesh that says, well, I like the world's music. And I like to sleep. And I like to be lazy. And I like to just focus on myself. And there's this internal fight. Notice verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. See, some of you, there are some of you that say, well, I, I, I planned on going soul winning, and then I just did it. Or I planned on showing up for Wednesday night, and then it just didn't happen. And I planned on giving, and, and then I spent it. You know what that means? You're walking the flesh. You cannot do the things that you would. 
There are things you'd like to do, but you can't get. The, the, the spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. And your flesh, you give into it because you're weak in that area. Look at verse 18. But if you be, notice the words, led of the Spirit. See, you can't walk in the Spirit without being led of the Spirit. You can't be filled with the Spirit without being led of the Spirit. Ye are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. If you are a carnal Christian, he's about to explain to us how those things are manifest, how we can see it. Adultery. If you commit adultery, you're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh. Fornication. If you are fornicating, having a physical relationship before marriage, you are not in the spirit, you're under the flesh. Uncleanness, lasciviousness. Lasciviousness just means, you know, if you incline yourself to lewdness or to lustfulness. You know, if you're looking at at pornography and things you shouldn't be looking at, uh, you know, you're giving into lasciviousness, you're walking in the flesh. Idolatry. Witchcraft. If you let your kids read Harry Potter, they're not in the flesh. They're not in the spirit, they're in the flesh. Hatred, variance. What's variance? The word variance means debate, strife, or contention. You know, when when these young guys in our movement want to go to either churches like ours or just normal IFB churches and just argue with the pastors because they're pre-trib, they're not spiritual, they're in the flesh. Because the flesh is the one that wants to go and debate and strive and have contention. And you say, well, well, they're wrong on the pre-trib. No, but you're in the flesh for even going there and doing that. Emulations talks about envy or jealousy. Wrath, strife, wrath is about anger, strife is about fighting. Seditions, that's where you try to incite rebellion. That's where, like, you know, when, when you try to get people to leave the church, when you have church splits, that's sedition. That's not in the spirit. That's the flesh. Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling. Reveling is talking about uh, rioting or, or, you know, being loud. Uh, in sin, you know, like going out on a ride or something like that. And such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, but now notice the, the, the opposite of that. He says, if you are in the flesh, this is what the flesh is going to do. But if you're in the spirit, this is what the spirit is going to do. But the fruit of the spirit. And oftentimes people try to act like the fruit of the spirit is the... Is, is the um, is, you know, this is the proof of salvation. But notice, it's not the fruit of salvation, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? You only have these if you're walking in the Spirit. You only have these if you're yielded to the Spirit. And the fact that the Bible says that you can quench the Spirit or you can grieve the Spirit means that you can have the Spirit and not be walking in the Spirit. So you could be saved and have none of these. You could be saved and, have, and not be walking in the fruit of the Spirit. What is it? 522, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you, if you don't love, you don't have love towards your brother, if you don't have love towards God, you're not, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. Joy. If you're just constantly depressed and discouraged, and look, I know we all go through, but it's just that's your thing. Your thing is you're always going through something. Your thing is no one better ask you how you're doing because they're going to be there for 30 minutes. That's your thing. You're always going through something. You're always upset about something. You're always depressed. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you you're not in the Spirit. Because guess what the Spirit produces in you? Joy, peace. I'm always anxious. I'm just anxious about what's going to happen. You're not in the Spirit. Because you know what the Spirit produces? Peace in your life. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is patience through struggle. Gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance. The word temperance means self-control. 
Against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ, notice, don't miss, this is like the key verses, 24 and 25. And they that are Christ, doesn't it sound like last week's sermon? Have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, which if you're saved, you live in the Spirit because you have the sealing, you have the earnest. He says, let us also walk in the Spirit. And what that means is that you can live in the Spirit and not be walking in the Spirit. You can live in the Spirit and be quenching the Spirit. So what do we talk about? We talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. But you did not get filled with this Holy Spirit. And I'm not against saying, you know, you got all of him, but he didn't get all of you. But I don't think that's what the Bible really teaches. I think the Bible teaches God gave you enough of the Spirit to seal you, to save you, to protect you, to keep his promise. You belong to him. But then God says, if you yield to the Spirit, there's more Spirit that I can fill you with. And that comes through walking in the Spirit, which means you control your mind which means you control your desires. Not every Christian is walking in the Spirit, but listen to me. You and I need to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit of God. Every day we need to get up and, and die to self and yield to the Spirit and say, today, Lord, today I'd like to have the fullness of the Spirit in my life. Today I would like to deal with my family and have them see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Today, I would like them to see the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Today, I'd like to have those things at work. Today, I'd like to see the fruit, the production of the Spirit in my life. Because you don't walk in the Spirit all the time. And, and, and you can be filled with the Spirit at one point and, and not be filled with the Spirit at another point. You can be walking in the Spirit at one point and, and be walking in the flesh just another, another moment later. It's a constant thing that we need to work on. But look, if you want to live the victorious Christian life, if you want to not be a castaway, if you want to not be a loser, if you want to get to the end, we must learn to depend on the Holy Spirit for victory. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these teachings from Scripture. I pray that they would make sense. And, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be Christians that are walking in the Spirit that are yielded to the Spirit, that are, uh, that are every day saying, not my will, but thine. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be filled with the Spirit. Lord, I pray you'd help us to, to know when we're walking in the fullness and the power of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. I pray that you would help us to learn to walk in the Spirit every day, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. In the name of Christ, we pray.